Hello and good evening. The name's Movies, Professor Movies, and welcome to Talking Technophobia. Tonight we'll be talking about the 1979 film Moonraker, uh, a paramount uh, achievement in the terms of James Bond and espionage films in general. Uh, so here's a look at some of the stuff we're going to be talking about. Uh, as always, we're going to take a look at how technology is depicted in this movie. We'll talk about both like production and in the movie itself, uh, and we'll also eventually like take this towards Star Wars, which comes out in 77, because it really has an impact on this film. We'll talk a little bit about the ethics of uh, espionage that are being communicated in this movie. Uh, and then as always, you know, like uh, on a happier note, we should talk about some love. And then uh, I'd like us to think about why we're still stronger than the machines, because this movie's saying that. Um, but as always, we're trying to think about what this is saying about uh, film, culture, and technology. Uh, about me, uh, as some of us know, we got uh, Dr. Professor Mrs. Movies over there, and I uh, tied the knot. Um, one week into marriage, uh, that's what it looks like. Uh, I thought that would be, thought that would be nice in terms of the shining. It's been a shining month, in fact. Uh, okay, so. Yeah, I'm gonna, I think this weekend we're trying to see it. Um, I have realistic expectations for what I think this will be, but we'll see. Uh, all right, so Moonraker, uh, directed by Lewis Gilbert, based on the novel by Ian Fleming. Uh, Roger Moore, Michael Lonsdale plays the villain. Richard Keel returns as Jaws, and uh, I wanna talk about his character at some point tonight. Um, they're a modest budget, uh, twice the budget of The Shining, in fact, uh, and it goes on to gross a lot of money. Moonraker was the most successful box office Bond film uh, at the time, and it held that record up until uh, GoldenEye. Uh, this is a movie that really marks a transition in the Bond franchise where we start seeing camp, and uh, my hope is we can talk a little bit about like tone and how tone shifts through time uh, in these films. Uh, and believe it or not, this was nominated for Best Special Effects uh, for the Academy Awards that year. Um, and that might be something worth talking about as well. Uh, this was not supposed to be uh, the next Bond film at the time, but the release of Star Wars uh, influenced this as the choice. And uh, like I said, we'll definitely see an impact there. So with that said, to kind of set the scene, let's um, re-familiarize ourselves with this movie a little bit and what makes it campy. Uh, so, here is not the trailer. Here is the trailer for the movie. You, you, you definitely feel the, the Star Wars influence there. Alright, how do I make it change now? And yeah, like, we talk nowadays about, like, trailers revealing the whole movie, and, like, they've always, it's always been, like, kind of what's been happening. There's a lot, there's a lot. There's a lot of, this is a, not a simple plot. I find myself having to stop and be like, wait, what is going on in this movie? Like, what's the plot? And they, and they straight up tell you, like, we're going to Brazil. Mm -hmm. we're, we're going here. Mm -hmm. we're going yeah, trot here. the globe. And then, 
Space. space. And then we're going to space. Space, baby. Uh, yeah, and it's like, the tagline on the poster was like, where other Bond films end, we begin. And this one's like, you know, other movies promise you the moon, we're gonna deliver. They don't deliver the moon. They don't. There's no, there's no moon in this. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like the end of Dark Phoenix in a lot of ways. Um, so. Uh, let's talk a little bit about James Bond in general for a second. Uh, go back to 1979. We've, we've, we've been to the moon. The space race uh, portion of the Cold War is in a lot of ways kind of like cooling off. Um, a lot of the late 50s and 60s uh, competition conflict is, is, is going to the back burner. But you do have a lot of advancements in um, what NASA is doing at the time including using re, uh, relaunchable like shuttlecrafts. Um, you know, prior to that, it's just the, the top piece of the capsule. You know, then a parachute comes out of it. Um, what else? Uh, oh, and there's talk about like Skylab and things like that, like putting space stations up in space. We're not quite at Ronald Reagan's Star Wars yet, I don't think, but that's coming soon. Or Trump's Space Force. Trump's Space Force, and true, like we'll get there. Uh, but in a lot of ways, this movie does kind of convey like the same messages that like the Space Force uh, and the Star Wars program kind of do as well. Um, <coughs> Star Wars also comes out in '77, and it it marks a shift in science fiction in terms of how technology is depicted. Right? Technology goes from like this serious social critique to uh, spectacle. Right, and a lot of like what we take away on the surface level of A New Hope is the the lasers and uh, space and the space stations and the and the battles and things like that. Um, so both of like the space race and then like how Star Wars is using and depicting technology uh, are influencing this film in a lot of ways. And what we're also seeing in this film is a shift in tone, right? Uh, the theory that I'm gonna try to convey to you like with all film franchises, but also like film in general is kind of like generational and it'll go from uh, serious tones, right? And then like gradually will swing in the course of like eight to 10 years over to camp, right, as the tone. And you can see this with like the Batman franchises, uh, from Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, you know, welcome to prime time by the by the fourth movie, um, and like it starts those films start serious, and in a lot of ways James Bond does too. But with this film, we really do start to see that technology is gimmick, right? Technology is spectacle, and that's important to keep in mind because again, film in a lot of ways can reflect and project like ideas that are in that you know like uh, a cultural unconsciousness at the time. So what I'm gonna like, try to convey to you over the course of our discussion tonight is that even though there's a lot of silliness in this movie, there is this underlying like, danger still being associated with technology. As always, it's often through malfunction and sabotage, but there's also, like, with an eye towards the space race, that fear that the other is going to like, outstep us, over surpass us, overcome us in terms of like, technology, and in this case, uh, outer space, right? And we need to be pioneers in that. We need to be pursuing this avenue in terms of our technological development, or somebody else will, and that can put us all in a lot of danger. So that's kind of like the big idea that I see in this film 
there's a lot of other ideas. And uh, as silly as this movie is, I think like our conversation should be a lot of fun tonight. Uh, so with that said, I'm going to show you two short scenes about technology, uh, for good or for bad. But there's like many scenes we could have chosen. But here's the centrifuge. No, no witty comeback from James Bond there. Uh, there's definitely like a like a some kind of like metaphor like you can pull out of that scene though, right? Like in the wrong hands, technology like spins out of control. Um, the safeguards that we, there's no stopping it, right? Uh, no safe word. Yeah, there is a there's a, a vaguely like S and M thing going on too with like being restrained. Um, but yeah, right. That's like more of a, a serious scene, a serious depiction. Even though, like, seeing the effect on uh, James Bond's face in it, I'm like, you did that with a giant fan. And that's all I can think of as I watch his, his, his face ripple. But it's uh, a lot more serious than this. So one of the aspects about technology in James Bond is often the, like, hidden transformative nature of technology. It seems like that, where you see the reactions of the audience, right? The guy falling off of the boat, right? Like those just for laugh scenes, that, like, that's what we're talking about when I'm talking about camp, right? Like this is poking fun. There's a level of self-awareness in this film. It knows that it's a silly movie on some level. Um, all right, so let's talk about some technology. But first, for extra credit, what's a moonraker? Say something that rakes the moon. What? I don't know. Okay. Good try. Good attempt. Anyone else want to take a guess? What is a moonraker? Like a long time ago, smugglers used to, um, to avoid getting caught, they would pretend like they were raking in the moonlight or something. Ooh, okay. Okay. I, th I was like, oh, I think you're onto it when you said smugglers because I thought you were going to go nautical with this. Because yeah. moonraker is a, is a nautical term, it is a type of sail that goes above your main sail on the mast, and it's usually a square sail that is uh, deployed to pick up additional speed. Uh, and I, after doing extensive research on Wikipedia and Google, that's what I've uh, learned. But I also want you to think about how like, the shuttle in this movie, which is the Moonraker, um, is something placed on top of something else and involves speed. But at its heart, right, Moonraker is a form of technology that allows us to accelerate, right, do something faster. Um, so that's a Moonraker, because I kept watching this movie, and I was like, but what is a Moonraker? And the song in the opening did not help. Um, so that's a Moonraker, uh, and now you can impress your friends at parties. All right, so there's a lot of technology both in the film and outside the film. Uh, like, for example, the use of models and miniatures uh, is something that you might want to talk about. But uh, let's start our conversation by technology by just like thinking about like big picture, like what we see in terms of technology in this movie, and then we'll kind of like gear towards like how that stuff is being depicted. Yeah, go ahead. Um, I like the fact that it kind of the. the the villain, mm -hmm. um, Drax. Kind of, yeah. He's telling his plan or whatever. He's got that plant mm -hmm. that's like linked to sterilism, whatever. So I, I think it kind of shows this like nature kind of also being used for bad stuff. 
and the technology and stuff that he wants to use, the Moonrakers and stuff, um, to kind of almost have like his eugenics program mm -hmm. of like perfect breed of people out in on his space station kind of thing. So it's just like this weird like nature versus technology in that sense, but he's using it mm -hmm. like for this evil. Yeah. And there's this uh, like perversion of the natural world, right? Yeah. Turning nature into a weapon. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I mean, the, uh, it's it's something that's come up, I guess, again recently with the whole commercial space flight yeah. idea, like you know, or the whole idea of building a colony on Mars or whatever. It's like people they say that people who would be born in space wouldn't be able to come back here. Mm -hmm. So eventually, wouldn't there be a separate species? on Mars, like, yeah. like the whole idea of like what happens to the people that you leave behind when you decide to leave this planet, right? Like what, what's going to happen there, right? The whole idea of is it, you know, do they become a nation? Mm -hmm. What rights do they have? Do they just get to cut themselves off from their, sure. the original planet? You know what I mean? Like eventually, like what, what's, what's it going to be? You yeah. Know what I, mean? I mean, you think about the cycles of history, like probably it would go like we, we colonize and eventually those colonies want independence. We fight them for it, right? And it's just that cycle again. But like, in fact, of like people changing, it reminds me of Wally. -E. And again, Wally -E would be a great movie to talk about one day because like those people, like from the low gravity or whatever, they're like giant babies with like no bone density anymore. Yeah. Okay. So it's just something I noticed when I was watching it about the the bad guy in this is a is basically like an Elon Musk type guy. He okay. builds spaceships <laughs> for the government. Yeah. So like those spaceships are actually pretty accurate for 1979 about yeah. what reentry ones look like. Yep. Um, uh, but the premise is that he builds them for governments. Yeah. So the government doesn't build their own space shuttles. It's a private guy who builds the base shuttles. Mm -hmm. And he's the one who goes into space and decides to kill everybody. Yeah. And restart everything. He's kind of like an evil like businessman. No, yeah, exactly. Uh, but like letting the technology get out of control of like the people who are the good guys. The good guys in this are the government. The yeah. bad guys are the private like... Uh, the private the unregulated guy who builds sciences. Yeah, no, that's great because Drax is our mad scientist, left unchecked, right? He's going to use it for uh, like perverse means, and uh, it's definitely making the case for like we need this to be government-run and control, not privatization of space, uh, for the reasons that you're saying. Absolutely. Well, that's what the movie says. Yes. Yeah, no, for yeah, the the message in the movie. Uh, <laughs> Under the surface, there's definitely that being communicated thematically. The technology needs to be like yeah. managed. Yeah, I mean, James Bond like works James for Bond. the the British government. Uh, Holly, Doctor Holly Goodhead works for the CIA. You know, yeah. So they're all governmental figures regulating this in a lot of ways. All right, very nice. Other thoughts? Hey, welcome. Uh, we watched uh, the centrifuge scene and then the boat gondola, hoverboat, speedboat, car thing. So, now you're all caught up. Other thoughts, other things? I mean, obviously James Bond has that like hidden wrist-mounted weapon, right? He's got the boat, car, hovercraft, yeah. Oh, yeah. The other thing I noticed about this movie, I guess, was... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, go ahead. Also, technically... Sure. And also, don't give people metal teeth. Don't give people metal teeth. I want to talk about Jaws at some point because he's a good example of something you can talk about with technology in this movie because perhaps like Darth Vader, Jaws is an example of the post-human because it's more than just his metal teeth, right? It's, I don't know what we want to say, like cyborg or something, but like he gets hit in other places and it's, it's just as solid. Mm -hmm. 
right? It's, but the teeth are like <laughs> the best example of what we can see in terms of technology coming into our bodies and transforming us into something else, potentially superior physically, but like are we losing something ethically or morally in that transformation? And while the first appearance of Jaws might say yes, second appearance of Jaws is definitely arguing not so much. Uh, over here, was there anything? Technology? Yeah, okay, go ahead. Just a, the other thing I noticed when I was watching <coughs> this is that, this is, aside from the critique on the plot of this movie, mm -hmm. or, or how the plot is even framed, if it, if it, if it even is. It's a little messy, yeah. Uh, all, the, the technology just is the only driving factor in the actual storyline. Like he walks into the room and he has to so he has to get a space shuttle and they're like here's a technology gadget that you'll probably need in the next scene mm -hmm. and then they're like the next scene he uses it to save himself from another technology like the technology or or random technical aspects of this like mm -hmm. space fight centrifuge machine pretty much at all there's only one scene that throws back to the old days is when he's shooting the guy out in the field mm -hmm. yeah which other than when that every other Dick scene Cheney. in this movie like he either has a boat that converts into like sh shoots mines. It drives like every single yeah. thing has. A, a, yeah. It's almost like the movie is, just like here are all the cool technical gadgets that exist in the world. Yeah, it's apart it's, from a theme. It's technology is gimmick, right? Look at this cool thing. Look at this cool thing, right? And like that's how all of the conflicts are solved, up until I'd say like the climax of the film, right? And then technology isn't enough, right? And we'll we'll look at that scene also at some point, because it's totally Star Wars. But um, yeah, good. Uh, any other things with technology? I'm trying to be conscious of time because we started a little later tonight. Transportation, weaponry. Um, second coolest weapon in N64's GoldenEye comes from this movie, right? The laser gun. Uh, you know, the watch, I like the watch too. The watch, the, the laser watch is nice. When you get through the floor on the train. Uh, I've been playing a little. I've been playing Outer Worlds. So your comment about like what happens when we colonize like space. I'm like, yeah, oh, okay. that's what I'm doing, colonizing space. I don't know what's going on on Earth right now. Um, okay, all right. Ooh, I feel like Greg, you touched a lot on the warnings of technology. Does anyone else see anything in terms of like the scary aspects of technology in this film? Well, I mean, uh -huh. it it also seemed to be. There's also seemed to be some hope in it. Oh, go ahead. I yeah. mean, you know. A new hope? Yeah. I mean, uh, yes. There's <laughs> definitely a, not a lot of a new hope in this. But, I mean, just the idea, you know, you know, of us wanting to go to these places in the first place and wanting mm -hmm. to expand and having all these, you know, um, people and different people involved in these programs. Yeah. Not everybody, you know, was the mad scientist. A lot of them just were just doctors and scientists who just legitimately just wanted to be a part of something new and great. Mm -hmm. And that's what a lot of, you know, that's that's a lot. That's where a lot of this starts, right? It starts yeah. off innocently. It starts off, you know, in with pure intentions. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, money gets involved, politics gets involved, sure. egos get involved, mm -hmm. and then you know the. Yeah, yeah. The, the the human factor in it, right? Like science is science, and then it you know then it becomes more like a business, or more like a religion, or more mm. like something else. Like whatever it is, we decide to add into it just okay. with our human imperfection, right? All right, yeah, I like that. There is definitely like a flaw in humanity that's getting highlighted in this film. That greed 
the uh, yeah the ego or the pride or whatever uh, like with Drax and like his pseudo master race. And we're gonna, uh, that he's the god of, right? Like yeah. it's not just the fact that like he's he if if he wasn't going to be a part of it. That's uh-huh. fine because he's creating it, right? Like he, he'll he'll never get to be one of those things, but uh-huh. knowing that he was the one who created them, that's right. cool. That's yeah, right. yeah, I like that. But also, like touching upon the hope, it, his enterprise like involves a international uh, collaboration, right? Yeah. Like it's it's all countries all over the world are designing pieces for these things. Um, yeah, and even solving the problem involves countries coming together in a lot of ways. But let's um, save, actually, this is a perfect transition. It's like I talked about it. Um, a couple of things I want to talk about, like uh, how James Bond was a lot more rapey in this movie than I remember. Uh, and I think that's definitely influenced Not by like uh, current culture stuff that's <laughs> definitely going on. But like again, if we talk about how like cinema projects and reflects, right, like male protagonists, uh, like it, it raises some ethical questions, James Bond. Um, also, uh, if we're going to talk about ethics, we should think about the political uh, politics of this movie, not just the sexual politics. And uh, that's something to talk about, too. So keep in mind what we were saying about the countries working together and all that stuff. But then let's see what happens to ladies who love James Bond. because. <laughs> Making love to James Bond seems magical because it can it can totally make you betray your employer or your country, but often these women uh, do not fare well. And here's a, well, I guess it's still technology, but more rudimentary. The so first off, again, like just on the few scenes we've looked at so far, right? Like this movie is all over the place in terms of tone, right? Like it, it, it doesn't know what it wants to be as a movie, right? It's, it's a thriller, right? It's goofy. Um, and that's really like something that signifies like this shift, right? We're at a moment where like technology is starting to be something we poke fun at, but we're not 100% there yet. And it makes the movie, oof, it's a, it's, it's a ride, all right? Um, so. I almost want to make the claim that like this is a axis of evil representation in our villains, right? This is a redo of World War II that we've got an, an Asian antagonist, uh, we've got a vaguely German antagonist in Drax. Uh, the Italian aspect is, is a little harder for me to like think through, but I know we go to Italy in this movie. There's talk about like a master race and eugenics as we brought up, and I think all of these things are appropriate to talk about uh, now. Also, um, the sexual politics and the ethics uh, around that in this movie are things to consider. So, um, you, want to, you want to talk about uh, exciting politics or boring sex first? Exciting politics. Exciting politics it is. Uh, all right, so let's think about the political politics of this movie, who the enemy is, what's being said, all that stuff. Yeah, what do you think? Trying to t- tie the ethics back into technology, yeah. I, I think that they wanted to make a movie after Star Wars came out about gadgets and space and mm-hmm. shooting and everything cool and technology, and they literally left no room for a plot. Mm-hmm. So they're like, World War Two. Nazis are evil. Nazis are bad. And like, so there is no ethical. Like, I mean, the ethics are overwrought. I mean, this guy's yeah. like, I'm going to kill every person on the planet and start a master race. Yeah. All right, well, yeah. 
There's no there's no nuance to it. Nope. Uh, they put a random Asian guy in there. Yeah. Uh, it made no sense at all. But I think the point was to highlight the technology. Like, right. the, there is no ethics in this film that's subtle. The ethics are overwhelmingly, James Bond can do anything he wants, he's saving the entire planet, so mm -hmm. whatever happens, happens. Mm -hmm. Like, you're allowed to kill a few people in the process if your end goal is to save five or million Or sleep people. with a lot of people. That's right. normal. <laughs> but look, um, Spycraft-wise, that's probably the most down-to-earth thing he does in this movie. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think literally we think spies get down a lot because of James Bond. Yeah, they do. Versus the other way. Uh, like, I'm sure being a spy, you don't get laid as nearly as much as James Bond. That's, that's also, correct. Also, James Bond's on spy. Yeah, that's like, true, right? Like, he's not a spy spy. Cold War spies. Yeah. He's actually just an investigator. Yeah. He calls himself James Bond the whole time. He yeah. Yeah, James he tells Bond everybody, I'm Bond, James Bond. Bond. I'm here yeah. to figure out what my space shuttle's missing. Yeah. Um, so, both Germany and Japan industrialized very quickly. Right, uh, post World War One, uh, pre World War One, actually, we can even make that argument with Germany. Right, there's rapid industrialization, rapid modernization. Technology is is being developed at leaps and bounds, and also we've got infamous scientists on, on those sides that are like notorious for like human experimentation, torture, right, and like genocide. Eugenics. So like, yeah, and eugenics. We often forget about the pre-World War II uh, American eugenics program yeah. and that like uh, words like cretin and moron and stuff grow out of our immigration policies and eugenics policies at that time. Uh, pretty much as soon as like the Holocaust and all that came out, like this country did a really good job of like getting rid of a lot of that information. But just like the, the concentration camps, right, we were doing that stuff too. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah the, that's what I mean. The internment camps, absolutely. And if you look at the, you know, the border now. Yes, and it's it's, yeah, the ethics around the well, no one said it was bad, but now it's bad. So okay, we'll stop doing that. Uh, except with the detention centers these days, right? Like we forget the cyclical nature of history, how it repeats, and everyone's like, I don't remember that. Oh, okay. That's true. We uh, again uh, with. Is this this is the bond where there's the scene where he's found the secret lab yeah. and there's this big the next scene where they gaslight Bond. You show yeah. that the lab's completely gone. You're right. Yeah. yeah. And then he's like, but here's the thing. Oh, there really was a lab. Oh, okay, James Bond. Yeah, that uh, you're right. There's this smoke and mirror, all the world's a stage uh, aspect to it being presented. Um, the subjective nature of truth, right? It's not one objective truth, it's, it's infinite subjective truths, right? Your truth, my truth, these people's truths. Um, and that's something that, again, like, is possible because of, like, technology, right? I would argue that, like, we're able to share ideas more, so now everybody thinks their ideas are right, but I don't know. Um, all right, any other ideas? Either politics or uh, James Bond and the ladies. Oh. You want to talk about, let's talk, yeah, James Bond and the ladies. This actually isn't yeah. as rapey. Yeah, as like, <laughs> you say rapey, that was, I coined that term. You yeah. said it first, so yeah. I'm happy. But yeah, the pre some of the previous ones are yeah. really pretty rapey. <laughs> I mean, he's, James Bond is like, He's like a hall of famer in the in the in the trope of like I, I speaking of coined terms, my mother coined this term, mm -hmm. of your ears children, the dick of death. Okay. Like 
like or 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 like some of you have like maybe heard the term um fridging mm-hmm. like the idea that you know you use female characters um like and specifically their demise mm-hmm. to propel the man forward even though when like women die around James Bond he just kind of steps over their corpses he doesn't really go uh, no. yeah he's just kind of like oh another one okay sorry yeah like it's a lot of like I mean like a couple of times he's been like quote-unquote married and then mm-hmm. they kill his wife and then they, he's they, all, like, they always yeah, kill his wife you know but for the most part it's just like oh Okay, she's gone. So, like, women are, like, disposable in the, in they're the James assets. Bond films. They're assets to be used, and as soon as they're not useful anymore, it's like they're discarded. And uh, that goes and with him and the villain, like, yeah. all the time. Okay, like, that's yeah. usually the one thing they have in common, is that their female cohort is yeah. usually just... And they, well, and they usually share them, too, so it's uh-huh. that part of it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and like I'm, like I'm saying, like all of this like sends messages, right? Like subconsciously or not, intentional or not, right? Like we watch these movies and we see that. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think I think James Bond, though, to be fair, is like somewhat even-handed with girls. I mean, the, his main sidekick here is a PhD woman scientist who helps him fight the bad guys the whole time. I mean, like Doctor Holly Goodhead. What? Dr. Good, Holly Goodhead. Yeah, which is a terrible name. Yeah. But all the Bond characters have terrible. I've actually yeah. read the old James Bond books. Mm-hmm. He's much worse to women in the books. In the books, yeah. Oh, yeah. In the books, he's just like, he'll shoot the women. I mean, like, it's, <laughs> like he's he's not a... The, the character in the movie is more like... More at least in 1979, I don't yeah. think you could make movies where, like, women were completely discarded. Yeah. So they made her, like... And, and nowadays, I mean, all James Bond movies have either a woman either being a really strong character, especially the... What's her name? The boss. Oh, M, uh, Judy Dench's character? Yeah, I mean, like, like, it's progressed over time to put strong women, but there's always been some, at least in this movie. Mm -hmm. I don't know, before this, it gets a little dicier. Uh, I mean, Ursula Andress wasn't even, she helped him out. She wasn't, like, a weak character in the Mm -hmm. movie. I mean, Ursula Andress was, like, fighting for, that was the first James Bond movie. Yeah, yeah, that's Dr. No, right? I think, like, you know, the person who dies in this worked for the bad guy. Yes. So they're disposable. Mm-hmm. But the people who work for the good guys are not disposable. So, like, that's her sin, right? She gets punished for that sin, for, like, yeah, working for the bad guy. Yeah, if you work for a person who's trying to end the planet, I don't think they have a moral, like, you're like, all right, well, it's a character in the show. Mm-hmm. He takes advantage of her, but, like, <laughs> she was about to kill the entire planet. So, I mean, there's some, they, they at least differentiate. She had it coming. She had it coming. Not entirely she had it coming, but... She got like, eaten by dogs. <laughs> like, I don't know. <laughs> no, 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 hey, if you work for the guy who's going to murder everybody on the planet, eaten um, by dogs is what happens. Okay. Um, yes, sir. When the... When this uh, good head gets kidnapped and he's able to... When they get kidnapped and he's able to escape and he's like... And she, but she still gets taken away, and then they come up later, and and he's like, "Oh, you're here." Right, you're right. Uh, they yeah. both are in the uh, ambulance, right? And then he gets like knocked out of the ambulance, and then there's like no thought in even going after her, finding her, and it's a surprise. Oh, there you are. Oh, okay, good. Did you have a? Yeah. <laughs> and then we'll go there. This movie also reflects the. Well, if you're promiscuous and yeah. you're a woman, yes. you know bad things will happen to you. Right. No, and that's great, right? Because the the unevenness or uh, paradoxical uh, with gender, yeah. like, because the men are not perceived that way, yeah. all right? Like James Bond is even more like promiscuous, bad. right? Mul- all these different woman. partners, yeah. right? But the woman does it. Oh no! Right. <laughs> okay. So go ahead, Stefan. I just I find it funny that 
he doesn't. They don't even need to actually sleep with him. Yeah. Like he just shows up mm -hmm. and they just change their minds half the times. Yeah. But there is always like like these roles where he'll always have like uh, a woman that he meets that is helping him like in the Hollywood head situation. Um, and then there's the villain and then there's an other sometimes. Mm -hmm. like, and it's always like, she's always there to help him in a, in a sense, but like never really gets yeah. Good character arc kind of thing, but it's just it's it's just funny how like he doesn't need to do anything. Mm -hmm. like, it just happens to him. Like right. it just changes everything. Just like a magnet. Yeah. <laughs> Come to Maybe him. that's the technology. Oh, yeah, well, it's his muscle. One of the constraints <laughs> is all the all the movies about all these James Bond movies are, are movies about one guy. Yeah. James Bond movies. So he has to be the lead character in every movie. Mm -hmm. The female can never be the lead character in a James Bond movie because <laughs> Yeah, like you'd have to have a different franchise. Like yeah, say, uh, well, but at a certain point, he's just a high-functioning like psychopath. Right, maybe. Um, and the Daniel Craig movies kind of like touch upon that, like you know, where you watch him as James Bond, and you're like, okay, he like is enjoying this a little bit too much. Yeah, I mean, I think they try to level up like the stakes. Yeah. So that like whatever you have to do, this is the kind of guy who does things to get things done. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. there's a certain amount of like if you're gonna work with guys who are gonna kill the entire planet, mm -hmm. you could pretty much dispense with whatever. He has a license to kill. They make a big deal out of that in about half the movies. Mm -hmm. Like, th I mean, this is a guy that you basically need to have. It's it, that's almost like an ethics of the entire storyline from 1962 yeah. till now. You need to have a guy that's willing to cross boundaries, do crazy things use people, manipulate people, because the stakes in every movie are so astronomically high. Yeah, and especially not realistic, movie, right? but like they're... Judge Dredd, but like with a suit. It's almost cartoonish, though, how high they set the stakes in this one, so... Yeah, they literally to, to the moon, almost. But to the moon, then we're going to kill everybody. Yeah. I also think it's interesting it's like that... international like, fixer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. A lot of the times, like, the villains actually are aware of his promiscuity yeah. and mm -hmm. use it against him. Yeah. That's what I thought, like, when he landed in that pool and there was yeah. all those, like people there, like the, yeah. the master people. Uh -huh. um, I thought something was gonna go down, yeah. but then it was, it was just something else. I was like, wait a minute, all these like women are just staying Yeah, around. they're gonna like try to seduce What's him. happening? <laughs> it's funny that you mention uh -huh. like, the Daniel Craig yeah. movies because like those are, like I, especially I think uh, Skyfall, it's mm -hmm. basically the antithesis of this. Yeah. It's very like low tech, like, like they, they purposely strip him of all of his gadgets mm -hmm. right right it's basically like like we talked about it's him some guns and like basically his whole history of just experience and he's just got to put that you know on the line to take down a foe that basically has all the resources that he would normally have yeah and when you contrast that to this where it's basically just like big everything mm -hmm. and like what you end up with is like a hollow villain in a sense, like who's basically just an interchangeable dude that we've seen before. But like the thing that makes this unique is the gondola boat thing and you know, the laser, um, the laser gun mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But like the most recent one that 
seemed to grab everybody's attention was the one that stripped them of all of that stuff. Yeah, because, uh, I mean, I think a lot of uh, opponents of James Bond might make the argument that it's not the man, it's the gadgets, it's the technology. But even this film is trying to say that, like, James Bond is a problem solver, right? That's what's... Uh, altruistic about James Bond, right? That's what makes him morally superior, perhaps, than, than the villains, is, is how he can fix these problems, right? Like, and the promiscuity and all that other is just means to an end to, to saving us all. Serving his majesty. Yeah, he's, he's, he's serving his government, the crown. Uh, and that's something to consider as well, right? Uh, because he's off the case, you know, and he still pursues the case. So it's not just the job. All right, go ahead. Well, I was thinking, like, it just occurred to me, but a lot of the, a lot of the, all, all the, the original version of Bond using the women and the thing mm -hmm. as, as a means to get to his end, mm -hmm. all the books were written in, I guess, in the 50s and 60s. And at the time, the Russians did actually <coughs> use, like, secret agents, and they did use sex to try to distract people. I and mean, that was an actual whole plan of the KGB yeah. to throw people off the track. So there was a whole aspect of that that really did exist. Yeah. Now, the character was developed in that genre. So they just sort of, it became sort of a, a calling card of the show. But by this time, the movies, the, the films are what, 18 years old? Mm -hmm. um, so and, now it's more of like a, a trope in this. Yeah. Like it doesn't and, look like it had to do be there, but it looked like it was there because of the legacy of what it, like it, from Russia with Love mm -hmm. was is an entire movie about uh, like basically an agent who's a Russian agent, but he's in love with her and they're using the love to get through to the British to steal the British secrets. I mean, so, you know, I, I, there might just be some legacy of it at this point. Like where now they're just doing it to like for jokes. Yeah. Like, no, oh, I, we're going to get this girl killed by dogs. Yeah, right. Uh, and the clown. Didn't make the any clown sense. The clown in, in, in Rio, <laughs> when Jaws is dressed like the clown coming down the, the alleyway, yeah. it's terrifying but goofy at the same time. Yes. Um, like the core of Jaws. Yeah, yeah it's, that's, that's Jaws in a nutshell. Um, go ahead. Speaking of Jaws, too, I think it, it's... Jaws 2? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's interesting, the ethics of the actual villain, too, towards his, like, uh, towards Jaws, mm -hmm. in that, like, he's using him, and uh, they, Roger Moore points out at the end, like, basically, you have this master race, like, what do you going to do with like there's others that aren't perfect mm -hmm. and he's looking the camera looks straight at draws and yep. it has this and moment of like you know that's where he kind of switches but it's yeah. just like even you know to his own people on his side his goons and stuff they're expendable to yeah him. manipulation means to an end um going back to uh, i got you next going back to what you were saying um yeah james bond is something that grows out of the cold war and this is at a, uh, comes out at a period of time where like, we're talking about detente, right? And, like, and cooperation and cooling of images. Uh, and can you divorce James Bond from the Cold War, right? If that's what James Bond was, right? Can he not be rooted in that? Because um, they've tried, you know? And like, they've continued the movies. Cold War is over 30 years. Yeah, so it's, it's something to consider. Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. As, as I'm looking at all of this uh -huh. and the line from the Mike Myers film comes up I'm with wanting a shark with freaking lasers. Freaking lasers on their heads. So in, in, in effect, for the Roger Moore years, we really do have 
Batman without the mask yeah. with his utility belt. Yeah. It's, it hits more superhero yeah. trips than it does side trips. It's Adam West Batman in a lot of ways. Shark yeah. Man. I like that. I think he could have had the job, too. Yeah? Yeah. Adam West is Batman. I'd be okay with that. Uh, as, yeah, well, James Bond is Batman, but also Adam West is James Bond. I'd also be okay with a, a female James Bond. Let's see what they can do. Um, Chrome can update. Telling us. All right. Last thought. Ethics. A lot of good ideas. Let's talk about some Star Wars. Yay. Two years after Star Wars, this movie is, is very much influenced by it. All right. Um, they rushed production on this instead of another film because of the success of Star Wars. A lot of the production of Star Wars is just kind of like transported in and like plot points as well. Um, I'm not going to show you the end right now because we'll talk about that later, but the ending scene is straight out of Star Wars. But here's, here's some space station stuff. Terminator, right? But just like pre-Terminator movie. That's what he is. Like he gets thrown out of a plane, takes out a whole circus, walks it off. He dies like four times in this movie. Yeah. yeah. I feel like they kept killing him, and then like someone in the production was like, no. Maybe his brothers. Give him a girlfriend. Yeah. Um, the girlfriend also. We're going to talk about the girlfriend. I got a whole slide on Jaws and how this is really just a beautiful love story about Terminators falling in love. Um, yeah. All right. So, Star Wars is an influence on this. Star Wars, Star Wars is an influence on like cinema that comes after Star Wars in general. It's one. Uh huh. <laughs> but this is uh, also like responding to things with like like we were saying uh, like 2001. There's a little Flash Gordon, right? But this is definitely borrowing and using that whole like technology as spectacle, right? Like explosions, lasers. <clears throat> Um, so, I mean, what can we what can we say in terms of that? Yeah, I think the best borrow from Star Wars was the lasers. Uh huh. The laser fight in space. Yeah. But like, I don't think they borrowed anything correctly. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and the 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 biggest problem with that scene is they they saw that lasers looked cool when you yeah. fire them, and the sounds they make were pretty well covered. Choo but choo. they just were coming from everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like when I was watching the movie, I kept noticing that lasers were coming from off everywhere. the screen on everywhere, but there weren't people shooting them. Nope. <laughs> so they were just shooting laser beams across the screen because they didn't, they couldn't connect them, I guess, in special effects to them. But like the parts where they actually did it correctly mm -hmm. were probably like the coolest scenes in the movie. Like, yeah. Um, the other thing they, they, they did was they had the epic space station shots, mm -hmm. which were kind of like the Death Star. Right, yeah. Uh, except they didn't have John Williams. Yeah. So they shot it halfway between 2001 Complete Silence mm. and John Williams, which is the real star of Star Wars. Uh-huh. And, and then you're like, well, it's too quiet. Like, yeah. like, it either has to be an action movie or it has to and have an awesome score or it has to be a space movie, and it was neither. Yeah. But the copying of, like, the set itself, like, the, the lasers were cool. Mm -hmm. You could see them striving for it. Right. Star Wars had lasers, so just more lasers. Right. That's but, how we make our movie. That good. was a secret. Yeah, they almost had something there with the space scene with the guys like kind of floating out, yeah. aside from the weird stop motion. Yeah. Part of it. But like, that would have been a really cool scene if the lasers didn't fly from everywhere. I noticed that. And James Bond gets like hit in the shoulder at one point, and like it doesn't even affect him in the movie. Right? Like, and I don't, I just think that's like bad editing where they like laser here, and it like 
pretty much hits him in the shoulder, and he doesn't even react to it. Yeah. I'm still trying to figure out. You can tell that they didn't use ILM. Mm -hmm. No. <laughs> but they also didn't use the group from Plan 9. No. So it's, it's somewhere between the two. I watched Plan 9 this, this, this week. Um, Dr. Mo Mobius, right? Morbius? Mobius? I don't know. Yeah, but it, the, uh, actually, uh, the effects in it and like the miniatures and stuff like held up a lot better than I thought they would when I went back and watched it. I was like, okay. Well, the sets are really impressive. The sets were really impressive. How many of them they have? Yeah. Um, Liam, not Liam Neeson. Yeah. Liam, uh, naked gun guy. Liam Neeson? That's not no, Liam no, Neeson. Leslie, Leslie Nielsen. Nielsen. Uh, yeah. I was like, oh man, it's a baby. What is that, Forbidden Planet? Forbidden Planet. Forbidden Planet's good too, guys. Oh, no, it's great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, other Star Wars thoughts? Because, like, everyone's trying to do Star Wars at this point after this. I, like, and it, I would say people are still Star Warsing. The what? last Starfighter? Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. it, sort of yeah. like, it sort of felt like there was a Logan's Run reference in there too. Okay. When he was doing the whole thing explaining the plan. And those two characters yeah. there just make, they yeah. just scream Logan's Run. And yeah. They you're right, you're right. That, that just hit me. I was like, ooh. <laughs> you a green or you a red? Yep. Uh, uh, go ahead. <laughs> just that when you said industrial light magic. The, when you're saying chasing Star Wars, th what this felt like to me, at least, was that a large production studio, which prided itself on having good special effects mm -hmm. pre-Star Wars, played catch-up and two years later tried to make a movie without actually consulting with ILM, mm -hmm. or the predecessor yeah. of it, and this is what you get. It's like people that were outclassed in 1977 and felt bad about it and tried to make up for it and made this movie and did a like a 50% job yeah, on it, but like not a 100% job, which left it completely <laughs> campy and in the middle. Mm -hmm. At least that's what I thought. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so, all right, so like, something that makes Star Wars stand out then is like the, the score, right? Like that's kind of what we were articulating earlier with that. Yeah, that's a, um, that's a big part. The effects, right? Like, uh, and we're seeing it here. We're seeing this movie try to like replicate all of that, albeit perhaps like half-heartedly, right? Not going all the way with it, not really like achieving the same kind of commercial success. Well, it didn't really have a good story in comparison. Yeah, I, I'm like, what, what, why did Drax steal the spaceship in the beginning of the movie? Oh. But why, why? Explain it, it to me. Yeah, it was just like, tell me again. They needed one more one spaceship. Ship, one of his yeah. ship, they needed X number of ships to get up to, to yeah. the space station, and one broke. And this uh, so and one just broke. That was and, it. And so the one that like, he previously sold to the Americans that was being lent to the British, he decided to take Right, I'm going to just take that back. It just feels like and not the best like plan in the world. Right? Well, he had to secretly steal it back. Yeah. So he faked the crash in Alaska. Mm -hmm. And what it was on loan to the British, and then that way he could bring it back into his secret lair in Brazil. Right, and I grasp all of that. I just don't get like how that's the easy fix, right? Like, I mean, I mean none of this is the easy I fix. I mean, when when your master plan, <laughs> yeah, like, but it's so it, it, the plan itself involves like again unseen intricacies, right? So many, and like you couldn't repair a spaceship. You had to steal it back from the government because he would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for the you know the meddling kids. Well, like, Bond doesn't have a character <laughs> in the same way that like Luke has a character. Mm -hmm. Bond is just like this empty shell of what should be like cool. Right. Um, okay. So plot-wise, you're never going to have a the same kind of plot arc. There's no hero's Bond journey with as, Bond. No. Right. Yeah. It's just another mission. You can't get more awesome. 
You can't, you can't, you can't improve he on can't. greatness. He's just, he's just, Let's go here. Yeah, I think it's also just for the number of great. movies. Like, he's been around at this point for so mm -hmm. long. It's just like, everybody knows Bond. That's it. But yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, but what made this, like, I think extra campy for me versus, like, the Star Wars space battles, just, like, there were no ships. They were just, like, all, like, floating around, yeah. shooting at each other. Lasers everywhere. And I'm just like, wait, when did all of these guys just come out? Like, all these same color lasers at some point. Yeah. <laughs> That's like what confuses, makes it confusing. The scene where there's just lasers everywhere, they're all the same color laser. Yeah. So you don't know who's would. shooting who. And then yeah. why does Q have one of those laser? And the monk, we'll right? I love that our introduction, they're in a monastery like, okay, and the monk is melting a fake head with the yeah, laser. Like, okay, this is definitely foreshadowing later, but like, uh -huh. why do you have it? Right. If that's like Drax's. It seems like everyone is secretly developing lasers, is, is what this movie is <laughs> well, telling me. I think me. it's to like justify the fact that you're watching what's supposed to be set in the modern day, uh -huh. except also there's a bunch of lasers, so it's kind of like lampshading the idea for later on. Yeah. Like, we understand this is a little bit wacky. Science fiction that one day will be science fact, right? We're going to get to these lasers. It's possible we're developing prototypes right now, like covertly. Maybe. But Drax has all of them. But Drax has got the <laughs> most ones, yeah. Americans, it's not really, actually, I don't know, are they Americans or Brits in the show? Or? It's the, well, the it's American government is the one we see in the, in the scenes. We, I imagine it's, it's like America it's there. Yeah, yeah, Ryan, go ahead. Elon's got uh, flamethrowers. He so is selling a line of flamethrowers, yeah, right? that's the start. <laughs> I watched uh, a doc, uh, unrelated, oh, oh no, this is related to Star Wars. I watched a documentary about Star Wars land last night. Uh, and it was totally Disney propaganda, by the way. It was like two hours of Disney propaganda. It's like what they would air in their hotels, I imagine. But uh, the like head of Disney's like park development, the head Imagineer guy, looks like Lex Luthor. <laughs> and for a second, I didn't remember what Bob Iger looks like, and I was like, oh my god, is that Bob Iger? Is the head of Disney, is he a Lex Luthor lookalike? Because that would be amazing. And it wasn't. I don't remember the gentleman's name. He seems like a wonderful person, don't get me wrong. Uh, please don't sue us. Uh, but he was a bald man who had a striking resemblance to Lex Luthor, and all I could think about was Disney going to space and like Mickey Mouse with a laser gun. But uh, uh, Jason went to space in the uh, Friday the 13th movies. Jason X, right? Leprechaun went to space. James Bond has gone to space. So like again, in your franchise at some point, all right, you're going to go to space and it's going to be silly. Go ahead. One other thing I, th I thought about actually came from Clerks. Mm -hmm. So they built this, they built a space station here in space with nobody noticing they built a space station. Right. Because it's got a, a cloaking device. Obviously. Except. Somehow they they put it in space, <coughs> like they build it. Like how many contractors would it take? Like you can't just build a space station. It would take hundreds of thousands of people to build this thing. Right. <laughs> and All so like, and there's that scene in Clerks where like when you blow up the Death Star, you probably killed a lot of contractors right. too. I had friends then, on that Death Star. Yeah. yeah. So like, it just made me think of like the whole entire premise of the movie, like the technology. Like they tried to put technology into the movie, but mm -hmm. they did it in such a way that, like in Star Wars. That's that's a joke because mm -hmm. in Star Wars they have multiple planets building things, but in right. this movie they kind of glossed over the fact that this guy built a, a, a multi, what would be trillion dollar space station, and mm. nobody noticed no, that's until very like true. twelve hours before he was about to kill the entire planet. Twelve minutes. What? Feeds them to the dogs. All of them. All of them. All of them. Well fed dogs. Well trained. You raise your hand. Okay. 
Uh, other Star Wars related things? Can you think of other movies from this time period? Or, I don't know, you want to talk about how Star Wars itself got campy at some point? Was it always campy? Those Ewoks? I mean, come on guys, those Ewoks. <laughs> they are adorable. <laughs> they were Jar Jar Binks. Jar Jar Binks is the key. If we can get Jar Jar Binks working, he's really, we'll be successful. Jar Jar Binks Yeah, yeah, <laughs> Senator Binks. Um, okay. Uh, Star Wars is very influential. It really, it, everything is affected by it, even something that you would uh, think would be so far removed from it, right? Like James Bond, right? Like we can see that ripple that Star Wars makes when it's dropped on the scene. Um, and we will, we will see more of that uh, before we're done tonight, right? Because the end of this movie is the Death Star run in a lot of ways, all right? Um, and James Bond's got the force, probably. But let's, uh, let's well, see. Oh, that's <laughs> metachlorians. The women can smell his metachlorians, yeah. which is, again, another perfect transition to talk about love. He does, and I'm like, this is a metaphor for how, like, in the wrong hands, technology spins out of control and yes. can't stop it. Uh, all right. And then our bad guy, our monster, our Terminator. All right, just like Terminator Dark Fate, spoilers. Uh, we got we to gotta humanize that guy eventually at some point because they become so popular. Right? And you don't want to condition your audience to like, like the bad guys. Uh, so Jaws is a character who goes through a very ridiculous transformation in a very short <laughs> amount of time in this movie. Can we um, and it, King Kong? it feels like it comes out of nowhere and it's very kind of like King Kong y. It doesn't um, feel like it, it does. So, and what makes her inferior is the fact that she has glasses, right? Like when we're talking about her inferiority. Okay, we're back. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> all right. How much they, of that did they hear? Uh, we'll never know. Um, all right. Uh, there's a lot of lust in James Bond. We've kind of like touched upon that. Uh, James Bond himself as a character is a character who like very rarely do we see enter the realm of like what we would consider like love uh, because it's always a new girl each movie, right? And stuff like that. And Either James Bond's having his heart broken or he's breaking hearts. I'll uh, leave that open to your own speculation. But like uh, with this scene, like this movie really becomes a love story. It's just not James Bond's love story. And it's almost like uh, Jaws very quickly gets elevated in terms of like main character status. Um, there's a redemptive power of love that runs through all of these movies, right, that we've been talking about. This idea that, like, love saves the day, love redeems people. I'm sure, you know, love will save Kylo Ren in the new Star Wars movie or something. You know, love saved Darth Vader on some level. So, like, uh, love is a, is a powerful, magical concept in movies. And uh, it is so in this movie as well. So, um... I don't know, what do you want, like, uh, let's talk about Jaws, because he's a, basically a robot that learns to love, just like the Matrix movies. I know he's not a robot, but you haven't convinced me entirely that he's not. But, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm sorry, is he, 
using his metal teeth mm -hmm. to take a bottle cap off of a bottle of champagne. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah, you pull the cork. Pull the cork. Bottle cap. Is it a bottle cap? I don't know, but he, either that or, you know. Maybe just pull the cork out. There, there's definitely some undertones uh, no, in that no, scene, no. especially when you look at it on loop, right? <laughs> I could, I could see some, some Freud that's, there. Just, Sometimes yeah. a champagne bottle is just a champagne <laughs> bottle. That's all. I mean, he didn't have a corkscrew. Yeah, I mean, as one does. Well, that's, that's an amazing set of teeth, then. <laughs> but you're right. There, like, I mean, let's call a spade a spade, right? Like, there's a lot of phallic imagery, even if you look at the biting through the cable, right? Uh, there's that, but there's a, a frightening component to it because of the metal teeth. Uh, there's this emasculation of James Bond that you could argue, um, because also like the gun itself, right, is like a phallic symbol. I've had people like try to argue that as well. I don't know. Everything, everything's a phallus. Everything. Uh, buildings. And sometimes it's just a cigar. And sometimes it's just a cigar. You're right. So I don't know. You. What can we say? What can we say about Jaws other than his implied phallic imagery in those two images? Yes, sir. From a love standpoint, I mean, I guess the big changing point and what convinces him is when he realizes he's in love with the girl, but she's not one of the members of the future race of the planet. Mm -hmm. So James Bond's like, you know. He's talking about killing your girl here. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. she's not going to be included. And he's like, oh. And that's what shifts him over. So it's kind of like a mix of love plus, you know, master race technology. Yeah. And but, I mean, Joss isn't even wearing the, like, space suit anyway. Right. He stands out, like, while everyone else is dressed identical, like the stormtroopers in Star Wars, right? All of Drax's minions are kind of just, like, interchangeable, except for Jaws, right? Jaws is the Captain Phasma of this movie. Yeah. Uh, maybe. It was on back order, I <laughs> <No>. <laughs> they had to make a bigger one for him. Uh, they don't have to shops in space. That's right. This is the second Jaws movie. This right? is the second yeah. Jaws movie. And he's straight up villain in the first. But when yeah. you bring him in the first movie and they bring him back, it means like people like him. Yes. And is it, what it means, yeah. So I think they had to give a love story to him because otherwise there's no. It's just double villaining. Right. And like They're when I. known for changing the villain up. So. If you're going to bring him back, he can't be the villain again. So this one, he had to have an arc, I guess. Right, because otherwise, you get people saying that James Bond movies are, are raising, like, criminal murdering people, right? Not because of James Bond killing people, but because, like, the character of Jaws is, is so engaging and cool it, and interesting. And from a purely technical movie-making yeah. standpoint, if there wasn't a Jaws arc in this, there's no arc at all in this movie. Sure, yeah, yeah. He's the only character who has any growth. Right. There's, there's no other plot in this movie. Otherwise. Yes. I don't think he could get any bigger. <laughs> Do you mean size or fame or everything? inappropriate joke? I'm not sure. I just I don't know what level you're on with that. But yeah. One back from where you One back, got you. Go ahead. into a corner and they just needed someone to save James Bond. So they're like, oh, let's make Jaws. Right. But I thought like, he was... Jaws was very popular in the movie before that. Yes. He was, yeah. And I I want to say the movie ends with, like, it, us, the audience, thinking he's dead, right? No, like, they, no? Actually, no, they, they say, they say, say, they say okay. it. They say it. Well, the two of them will, we'll see them again. Because, okay. like, they made it off somewhere. Wink. Yeah. Which is, like, it's, I think the, the government people or the NASA people say, say something. Wait, wait, no, not this movie. There's the movie before. Because oh, like, they do say, like, we'll see him again. And then it's, no, I think it's, it's that scene. Too. 
In this one at the no, end, I know they say they get off the, the spaceship before. Okay, I see. I was just wondering because I don't remember the one before it enough to remember if Jaws yeah. is like implied dead at the end and they just they bring oh, him yeah. back for this. No, they were like at the very end of this one. They're like, oh, it landed in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. No, I know that there's two people on it. Right? No, no, I know. Yeah. But I'm saying the movie before this that Jaws oh. appeared in, like I don't remember <laughs> how he is resolved in that mm -hmm. movie is all. You know, like yeah, I remember. I know what what's happening with him, <laughs> to a certain extent. Uh, and listen, we're never going to figure out the motivations of the filmmakers. What I want you to contemplate is like what their choices say to us, right, as a viewer, um, right? Like anyone can be redeemed, right? You just got to find a big enough bra um, or something. <laughs> I yes. think it's also just kind of to contrast Drax's like super race. It's mm -hmm. just like they had to kind of, you know, show that not we don't always need this super master. Like sometimes the quote, monster can be helpful and mm -hmm. the better choice in this scenario. Yeah, because like, you could say Drax is Frankenstein, yeah. he's the monster, monster rebels. I don't know if we could argue the creator aspect of it, but yeah, right, there's something that separates them. Uh, and the Drax is, uh, we don't see anything of him like caring about anyone else, right? He's selfish, and Jaws is willing to risk everything to save another person. And James Bond, on a bigger scale, right, is risking everything to save all of the other people. And likewise, she yeah. sees past his like metal teeth and okay. monstrous frame. Like, yeah. she, like she walks up to him and just like cue the love music. Mm -hmm. There's nothing. Love at first sight. No spoken word or anything. <laughs> Which is good. It didn't say much. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They're both, they're both are very quiet too. She doesn't say anything in the whole mm -hmm. movie either. He actually he gets a line at the end, right? He gets a line, but she gets nothing. He gets a line. I don't remember what yeah. the line is, but it's something like... I think it was right after the champagne. And it's like, well, all's well that ends well, or something like very <laughs> cliche, but it's like something weird. Or here's to you. It was. It's something. Yeah. I don't know. We can Google that at the end. <laughs> um, okay. Um, Good so this message about love, right? Like, now apply it to like... The movie as a whole, right? Why is why is love important? The uh, Cold War, space race, our lives today. Uh, this movie is a message about love. Everyone needs a reason for being. Okay, right. And love is a great reason. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great motivation. It's a good motivation. That's great for sales. It's good for sales. There's a whole holiday built around it. Easter. <laughs> mm -hmm. That one too, yeah. Uh, did you have a thought? I, I don't know. I mean, this movie came out in 1979. All uh -huh. I can think of is like, for some reason, the outfits. Yeah. The concept, the cheesy love story just made me think of disco music. Okay. It was like kind of popular in 1979. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to think of what Diana, what's that? There's a Diana Ross song that came out in like the late 70s. It was like a love song. I'm like, I think they just threw it in to match up with disco. Yeah. It was almost like they were like, we just need money. Star Wars made a lot of money. If we throw in space, disco, love. People like, love Jaws, bring him back. It's, it's, yeah. Is it possible that it could be purely a commercial aspect to keep him in the movie? Yeah. Yes. I think entirely that's the decision behind it. He's a popular character. We're gonna we're gonna try to like make some money off of him. We don't want parents or something complaining, so like let's give him a girlfriend and, and make him a good guy by the end of it. Uh, but yeah, like love is what we need in the world to solve, to, to turn our enemies into friends. 
Uh, maybe. I don't know. We got to get Russia a girlfriend and the Cold War will be over. Um, I don't know. But there's something there like, like we could pull out, right? Like unintentionally probably because they're just counting their bills. But like what it says to us, right? Like how we interpret it. There's something there about like love is powerful and love can save people right? and bring them back from the edge. You saved me, Luke. You know, he's a good right. guy. He needs to get laid. That's it. You know, and like that, like people getting laid. That's why they're evil because they're just not getting any. You know, and like you get them laid, and they're a lot less uptight. That's why James Bond is such a good guy. You know, that's why James Bond. We like him so much because he's laid on the regular. Yeah. All right. Um, circling back to Star Wars, and since there are circles on the screen. Um, yeah, this ending scene, I would say, is straight out of the Death Star run in a lot of ways. Uh, but it also highlights another uh, trope that is, emerges in a lot of these films that we've talked about, right? Neo had it. Um, Luke had it. Uh, the, 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 whatever their names are in Independence Day had it. Uh, your father, I know, yeah. <laughs> My sister had it. Um, and you have it. But it's treatable. <laughs> and that is that uh, human ingenuity, right? The, the thing that separates us from the machines for now, but also like the other animals, right? Like that idea maybe beyond the soul and the force and all that stuff, right, is our, is our problem-solving nature. Our ability to think outside the box, our ability to be superior to technology which might be flawed, malfunctioning, or open to sabotage. So let's watch. James Bond be washed in red light for a couple minutes. Oh. That's got to be a really difficult shot. I'm just saying he's got no training for that. That can't be something they taught him how to do. You got to calculate a lot of math and trigonometry and all that stuff to make pull that shot off. It's it's, it's impressive. Yeah. That's I mean it's it's easier said than done. You got to think about bullet drop and all that over distances. I mean, to me, I think it, it was yeah, go ahead. Like the whole movie, like we said before, he's like using the technology, and it's it's the technology, not mm -hmm. the man. But like this yeah. changes and switches and reminds you by the end of the movie. It's like, by the way, he still is an excellent marksman. Mm -hmm. He's still like this, like perfect soldier kind of thing. So that's my take on it. He's really good at asteroids, you're right. No, but yeah, this is that point where like earlier I was saying, uh, it's, it's technology like getting him out of all of these other technological conflicts, right? And it's just him having like better or more hidden technology or something. It transforms an extra time than yours. But this is, yeah, that moment at the end where like the technology fails and it's it's his own ability, right? His whatever you know, him as a human, right? He's still superior to the targeting system. You know, he doesn't break down when it gets too hot. He's able to perform under pressure and all of that. <laughs> There's a lot of innuendos here, guys. You got it. It comes with the territory. I'm telling you. Uh, okay, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, like, this is of uh, any technological point in the movie, this uh -huh. is the only real point, is that no matter what technology is created, there's still a human at the end of it. Mm. It's like it's gonna do everything. So, like, everything's only as good as the person who created it or the person who's driving it or right. the person who's this, and, like, James Bond being the lead, because it's a James Bond movie. Right. Uh, yeah, so he has to be the one to do this at the end, but, like, 
He's still using some technology, but like on a limited basis to defeat yeah. other technology. It's still all controlled by a person with a good moral code right. trying to save all of humanity. Yeah, uh, technology yeah, in the right with hands. Melting you know? coming back into the atmosphere at the same time mm -hmm. in a very calm, right. weird, blue screeny sort of acting yeah. way. <laughs> Like in the movie Airplane, that all that whole scene just made me think of Airplane. Yeah, <laughs> when's Airplane? That's got is that seventy nine also? Like one year later, eighty. Eighty. No, it was in the seventies. The, the second one was the eighties, which the was funny because they also good. went to space. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Because <laughs> they had okay. the shuttle instead of the yeah. Moon. They landed on the moon base. Yeah. Yeah. They were going to I was expecting uh, Leslie Nielsen to come in. Mm -hmm. like, we're all counting on you. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> And the joystick, like she's driving, like yeah. a spaceship with oh, it. Is, is that with a gonna... <laughs> Barely. Also barely. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of fallacies in this. Yeah. Uh, this franchise. Not this whole thing. <laughs> this is what it's and all about, guys. Self-aware about. Um, yeah, there's a level of self-awareness with it. Um, maybe. Like the end I line. I like the of... names of the characters are. Yeah. And right. Q's end line of re-entry. Re-entry. It's a thing that causes itself, sterility, like right? That he's blowing up. Yeah. Which is it? side note, is it? like, I don't yeah, know. I that's, that's what it was. Yeah, it's something. It's like basically that. like oh, everybody on Earth would be sterile, and then his master race would. Succeed. I guess it killed everybody except the animals or something like that. Yeah, it was uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, but mm -hmm. if that was its design, was to like let that nerve gas out by blowing it up, wouldn't it just release the nerve gas anyway? Like, <laughs> it might be hot. <laughs> It was just <laughs> entering the atmosphere. It was still well within the, the safe limits. Of course. You know, we're fine. It was way above where it was. Because once it starts glowing, it's not hot enough. There's a lot of <laughs> <technical> <laughs> um, But yeah, like uh, James Bond is a problem solver. And yeah, technology is just a tool. It's not good or bad. It's how it's used. Needs to be in the right hands, right? Government hands, perhaps. Well trained, follow orders, and sleep with a lot of people. Okay. All right. Is that the takeaway then, like yes. uh, with the end that of the is, movie? That is how the world is saved. Okay. <laughs> There's no other way for it to happen. <laughs> That's how all James Bond movies end. Yeah. No, you're right. <laughs> he saves the day. But again, it wouldn't happen if Jaws didn't have his redeem. And he gets the girl. <laughs> and they're floating in space in that when he gets the girl and it's like spinning in, in the throes of passion. Preparing for re-entry. Uh, with that sheet they found somewhere. <laughs> okay. I think he carries his blanket, but yeah. don't ask You think where. so? Don't ask where. It's like, but <laughs> He's you ever notice that like sheets in movies are like weird L-shaped? Like all sheets of movies are weird L shaped. You'll see it. Go look for it now. The sheets, the sheets are shaped weird. The sheep also is weird. That's a different movie. They always entirely. conveniently cover the right places. Yeah, well, because they need it exactly. That's why. But like, I just think like, you know, Hollywood it makes us imagine this world where everyone has like L shaped sheets. And every time anyone gets up, they always bring the sheets with and them. And everybody sleeps mm -hmm. naked. Yeah, they always bring the they sheets bring with the them. They always bring the sheets with them. Holy People who sleep naked don't care about like emergencies <laughs> in the middle of the night, right? It's fine, whatever. House burns down, I'll go out naked, it's okay. It's just a little cold. My house is burning. Yeah, that's true. Studio lights are bright. Yeah. Going back to The Shining, like The Shining set was really, really hot and not cold, and they all had to pretend to be cold running around with those jackets and stuff. But, uh, that was something else in my research for last month that I was like, yeah, that's interesting. I hear Dina yelling. Yeah. Dina, we got like, 
I can't do math, uh, but Gangs. 19 minutes, you know? 19 minutes. Yeah, it's daylight savings. You don't know about yeah. that. Um, I think Dina wants to go home. Uh, ah. Plus, I'm, I'm vamping because we're at the conclusion slide with 19 minutes left. So uh, wow. at this okay. point, uh, we can talk about things overall. You can tell me that you think uh, your James Bond is just like a title that gets passed down, and that's how you explain all these like different the things Pirate or something. Roberts. Yeah, like the Dread Pirate Roberts. Like <laughs> this is the time to talk about you know your our weird James Bond ideas or theories. And this is, this was before Ooh, Star Trek, Trek, you know, 1980 came out. Mm -hmm. No, you're right. Talk about a technology movie. <laughs> that would be it. <laughs> yeah, because the thing we send out comes back. And yeah, it's not and, happy. Yeah, it's not happy. We're, the human race is the yeah. creator, the Dr. Frankenstein in the original Star Trek. The, the first Star Trek movie with the bald woman. Viger, right? Viger? Viger, yeah. Because it was the Voyager and something else come, crashed into each other. Ryan. And then it comes back later as the Borg. Yeah. Maybe. The Borg is a great metaphor for technology. We'll talk about it. Yep. We'll do first contact one day. Oh, yeah. So go ahead. With, uh, like, what does it say about like phone culture and everything? Yeah. It sort of says that like, like a like a filmmaker, like certain filmmakers mm -hmm. will do what it takes to get money from their films. They will exploit like every sort of like last resource that yeah. will like, yeah. call attention to this and that and like. Yeah, like uh, all films, yeah. right? We stand on the shoulders of giants. This movie is like relying on those shoulders yeah. for a lot of the standing. You know, it doesn't necessarily stand on its own. Mm -hmm. Right? It's a lot of incomplete, half-baked ideas. Yeah. Yeah, it's it speaks to the power and danger of genre. Mm. Right. Like okay. When when done well, you know, or or treated, you know, sparingly. Mm -hmm. Genre can be, you know, you can get things like this recent Joker film, yeah, where it's like, okay, yeah, it's genre, it's comic book, but you know, it's the way it uses it, it it's sparing, right? And mm -hmm. in this one, it's just like, all right, we're gonna take James Bond, which is genre in and of itself, right? Mm -hmm. And then we're just gonna just splatter it with chrome, so much chrome, and just. You know, I mean, it's not even that there's so much chrome. Like chrome is, you know, right? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. But so, so, you know, does this movie have genre dysphoria? Yeah, a little bit. But like, you even give the Joker four movies. I bet the Joker goes to space. You know what I mean? Like, it could start as grounded and gritty as you want, but sooner or later, it's gonna end up just doing the dance in zero gravity. Yeah, like, like sooner or later, yeah, like that's where movies go, and then they come back, right? And then they go again. Go ahead. I was just gonna say, like, I think and then we'll part of, here, yeah. um, like, the appeal of mo like all of the James Bond franchise was kind of like, you know, his coolness, but also his technology, mm -hmm. like all the gadgets and mm -hmm. everything. And I feel like when done right, with balance, with a good story, like it works. And then this kind of shows this like over reliance on the technology that kind of makes it turn into more of this campiness, into this like. Mm. And I'm sure you could take that like as a statement about like film, right? And like then we get to like CGI and stuff, right? And we, we still we're seeing like that over reliance on technology, the deep fakes, right? The, we can genetically recreate people long dead and all of that, right? Really realistic. Um, we don't need the actors anymore. We could just scan their appearance and finish the movie. 
Um, yeah, it's that this is perhaps the beginning of that shift in cinema, right? Where we start relying on technology just for technology's sake. Yeah. All right, uh, Ryan. Yeah, and like sort of how there are like two different sort of kinds of movies. Mm. With um, recently, uh, Martin Scorsese said that. Uh, well, he said a long response when uh -huh. asked what he thought about Marvel movies. Oh, yeah. But it, the only part anyone listened to was the end part where he said that they were not cinema. Yeah, he and says they're theme parks. Yeah, more like more like amusement parks. Yeah, mm -hmm. he wrote a whole article actually about like, and then Coppola, Coppola backed him up on it. Mm -hmm. uh, and he wrote he wrote a whole thing about how like movies involve like revelation and everything and and like personal like very personal things and mm -hmm. and how Marvel movies didn't really contain any of those things and like <laughs> yeah yeah so, some yeah. okay yeah, yeah, so. oh, yeah you're right or, or, uh, or like like risk or anything or like genuine it's the sure. spectacle. It's, ooh, that looks cool, yeah. right? And you see it in the Marvel movies. I and the fact it. that I watched a two-hour documentary about Star Wars Land, like, <laughs> those movies are theme parks, like, literally. Um, like, the Star Wars Land is a chronological story in Star Wars canon called The Rise of the Resistance. Uh, it's, it's, it's a theme park, right? But it's a part of their, their big story. Uh, so I don't, I mean, I don't dis necessarily disagree with them. But I, like I get what it because it's different, right? That shot in Endgame, which is everybody come out of wormholes or whatever, it looks cool, and that's all it is. And Star Wars is going to do the same thing based on the trailers with this new movie, right? It's going to be all these ships you've ever seen before, right? Here they are. Look, isn't it cool? Go ahead, and then we'll go here. I think from the bottom line you can say is all the special effects in the world, no matter how cool, mm -hmm. can't save a bad story. Yeah. Yeah, right? Like, and that kind of, this movie could be used to make that argument, right? When people are like, no, 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 if it's got good special effects, people will like it. You're like, well, let's look at Moonraker. Nobody likes Moonraker. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things, I mean, at, just based on tying, like, James Bond to technology in this yeah. film, I don't know if this was even a technology film at all. It had technology in it. Yeah, but it's, but it's more so than The Shining. More so than The Shining. <laughs> Come no, on. That's not what I meant. I meant uh, We're not scraping the bottom of the barrel yet, believe me. I'm no, telling you. <laughs> Go ahead. What, what I'm thinking is uh, more like uh, James Bond's character is uh, whatever the scenario, mm. I can handle it. Yes. Whatever it is. So the first movie is Dr. No, and he can like storm beaches and mm -hmm. solve mysteries. The next movie is what? The Thunderball? So he's an expert diver. Okay. Uh, then he's like, a, you know, he's a, he's a spy. He can do this. And in every progressive movie, he does something different and commands whatever it is. And Star mm. Wars comes out in 1977. They're like, now we're going to make a technology movie. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what the technology is. It's James Bond, and James Bond can handle it no matter what it is. Right. That's the premise of the movie. So the technology is more of like the background. Yeah. And it, and again, right? It's that it idea that like he adapts to he whatever adapts to situation, all situations, right? Like, that's, that's a, a very human thing. And that's why he's the best agent in the world. Yeah, technology can't adapt. Yeah, so that's a technology. Not not a technology movie, but like the technology is the background to how awesome James Bond is at dealing with whatever. In this case, space technology. Okay. I like that. Other thoughts, concluding remarks, questions, comments, concerns, conundrums. Is this the worst James Bond movie? Or do you think it's, there's a different so, Like, there are things that happen in this movie that I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. Like, when they sword fight in the glass shop. But what about I'm like, the, Yeah, but what about the... What's that? Who's the Dalton? When Timothy Dalton movie? Which one is Timothy Dalton? That's... License to Kill and Living Daylight. Yeah. Those two. They're just so like, oh, is it a James Bond movie? Like, I'd prefer this to that. 
Because yeah. he's, he's James Bond. He's yeah. hanging out with girls. He's okay. spaceships. In that <laughs> movie, crazy. he's trying to be serious like Daniel Craig, but hasn't quite bridged the gap yet. Yeah. Like that serious tone, like, yeah. It was, it like, it was like a cop drama. It's just sort of like the, the transition between Roger Moore and Pierce Brosnan. Yes. yes. That's what it was. Yep. Yeah. It's like, we don't know what to do. We were, we're trying to get Pierce, but he's doing something movie. else. No matter how campy this he, uh, he fights the snake. The snake is obviously rubber, right? And like, he's like, mm. yeah, in this, like, it's I'm just, no, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm just like, this movie is the perfect storm no. of camp, right? Like, because there's, like, really, like, terrifying scenes at some points, right, where you feel the tension, and then there's, like, like then there's Austin Powers. Absurdity, yeah. <laughs> like, this is what I think Austin Powers is making fun of. Yes. This kind of James Bond, right? Well, because this James okay. Bond lives in that world. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. Is, um, has, is James Bond canceled? Like... Has yeah. the world passed James Bond by? Like, like cancel it, culture stuff kind of like, thing? Like, yeah, yeah, like, is, it, die is, is it just, is it just dated, though? Like, in the sense that, like, we don't do the espionage thing, like, the way we used to. Like, it's a little different, yeah. right? The, the, the political lines are a little different. Mm -hmm. And a lot of just the things that they used, you, you would get away with, like, portraying and advertising and stuff like that in these movies you don't mm -hmm. really they're not so much in vogue anymore no you're i mean you touch upon like a really important point because like this type of character plays played a cultural significant role right in like uh development of men and women watching these movies and uh, we live in a time now where like there's a lot of aspects to these movies that like don't work anymore Right, and not just the sex stuff, right? But like, you're right, like a lot of like how we think of spy movies and things like that, like we don't think of this. We don't think of gadgets with spies anymore, really. I was watching the Jack Ryan show, yeah. and I was just like, yeah, yeah, that's a good is, example. this is more James Bond than James Bond. than James Bond has been like in a long time. Like, yeah, he's in the exotic locales, mm -hmm. he's got the, you know, technology, but it's not so over the top, but I mean, we have, pretty ridiculous technology in real life mm -hmm. now. So it's not like, yeah, you can kill a bunch of people by pushing a button with this robotic yeah. thing that they can't even see. So like what more do you need yeah. other than a drone in a lot of a lot of instances, right? Like, mm -hmm. you know, so it's a, a lot of there's a femme fatale, they they got all of the Yeah, because I would speculate that Daniel Craig, is Daniel Craig gonna do the, do we know yet? Yeah, Who's, yeah. So I would speculate that Daniel Craig is uh, getting to the point where like he would be transitioning to campy James Bond movies. So let's or let's <laughs> keep that in mind and see if this super grounded, realistic like uh, James Bond movies go the way of Moonraker. Because like we're at that point where they're gonna try something different mm -hmm. with these movies. But in theory, like the yeah. superhero movies should be doing that, and they continue to be like the dark and sexy reimagination of superhero movies. Not completely. no, not Marvel, not Disney's. They, no, yeah. Like which? Like most of the Disney's, like the Avengers ones, like were like always... that little level of camp built in, like from the beginning. Mm -hmm. Like every every Marvel, Marvel movie movies? has like these like one-liners that are meant for well. Sure, there's, there's one-liners there, but the characters, even when it's like ham-fisted and like real on the nose, it's like their love for their daughter is really why they're fighting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <coughs> I'm trying to think. That's something to, for all of us to really think about with the Marvel movies because perhaps the comic, but like the comic books that they're based on like still would fit this pattern. So I'm just trying to think through it like on the spot. 
Um, you can like definitely see it with Batman 89 through Batman and Robin, right? So like, they got really campy for yeah, Batman. Right? Like, like, but we start with, like grounded, realistic, the penguin and catwoman in the second movie. And then we have that shift because you know McDonald's is mad because like moms are mad that like these toys aren't appropriate because your movie, your penguin guy is biting people's noses off. Uh, even I would argue uh, Nolan's Batman movies by the third movie have have started to swing towards camp. If you if you yeah, think about Dark Knight Rises and some of the silliness in it's it, it's campier than the first. Some days one. you can't get rid of a bomb. That's where we're at with Dark Knight Rises. In the end of Dark Knight Rises, we are Batman '66 trying to get rid of a bomb, and. Batman 66 is a perfect example of camp, right? Where he's running through with the bomb. Oh, none. Oh, maybe. Oh, this thing. We're not quite there, right? But it's, it's but starting. End, what a lovely, Batman, lovely like, voice. dies and disappears. Mm -hmm. So it's, it, to me, it's more an homage to that. Sure, and okay. it's still supposed to be grounded in reality as much as flying your, like, yeah. not spacecraft. Mm -hmm. And then, then, then you get Superman bomb. versus Batman. In the then, uh -huh. Yeah, okay, look. Yeah, and again, those movies, right? Like, we're gonna get dark and grim, but then, oh, maybe we should shift our tone a little bit, let Joss Whedon come in and do some reshoots. Let's make this a little brighter colors. Like, yeah. you're seeing the shift there. Marvel is trying to balance it, but there's a lot of, like, like, goop, like, cause Star Wars is like, blah, 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 goofy one-liner, you know, like, droid, please. You know, like, the new Star Wars, uh, I would say that, like, there's a lot of that in the Marvel movies as well, where, like, it's, there's a scene, something serious happens, and it's, bop, 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 womp, 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 you know, someone makes that joke, and the scene ends. Yeah, yeah, like, so I don't know, it's something to think about. I'm sure at some point we'll, we'll get to superheroes. Yes. And though, yes. Yeah, yeah, I saw your hand well, first. I was going to say, I think that, like, the ultimate um, balance of that is Watchmen. Okay. In that it, it's, it's, like, the characters themselves are ridiculous, mm -hmm. right? Night Owl is ridiculous. Silk Spectre is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. The comedian is ridiculous. Yeah. And, you know, they exist in this world that is so self-serious in that, like, they're like, yeah, we have vigilantes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, oh, and we have this big blue guy that's God. Yeah. And then all of the things that are wrapped around that are plausible enough. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah, like, okay, like, if we had Dr. Manhattan and we were getting our butts kicked in Vietnam, yeah, we would go send him to handle that. Sure. If, if he was willing, sure. Yeah, it's an arms race. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and it was, and I think, I think that, well, I, I, I nominate that for, for one Watchmen? of these things. That's a good um, balance. Okay. <laughs> I think that'd be cool. Uh, but again, right, Watchmen is a is a dark take on the superheroes, which is responding to, like, the, the Bronze Age, you know, like, the campiness of the Silver Age. Um, like, it's that, like, Miller does it, too, in addition to Alan Moore, right, with, like, Batman Year One, Dark Knight Returns. Like, it's the... But we got too silly, so now we're gonna get dark and serious, right? And then we get silly again, and then we'll get dark and serious again. But Watchmen, yeah, is, is definitely a, a dark take on the superheroes. There's a lot of technology involved in it, and I think that the ending of the movie makes sense for the movie in, all, in, in a better way than the ending of the comic book does um, in terms of where they take it. But I also think Watchmen really shows us how we get world peace, right? We, we do that thing they do at the end. Uh, we lie to them. We lie, yeah. Uh, Greg, and then maybe Stefan, and then we're going to end, I think, I just, unless you guys got it. 
Okay. I just think you, you had that conversation about like where we are in the arc of campiness versus where, right now. where is James Bond going to go. Yeah. And I think one of the problems that James Bond has as a franchise is that it's in between Marvel movies because yeah. they're competing for the same viewers. That's true. So it can't go campier than Marvel when until Marvel goes campy because Marvel's got more money. Mm -hmm. So it like it feels <laughs> like I mean if, if they were to go campy and Marvel doesn't, mm -hmm. then nobody's going to go. So they have a it's like a weird tension because I think the best. The best James Bond movies, uh, my favorite one is still Promotion with Love. There's mm -hmm. one fight scene, one yeah. fist fight. There's mm -hmm. no technology, they're on a train, there's nothing else to it. It's just a spy movie, love movie, intrigue movie. Mm -hmm. But it's not a good story. It's right. a great story. It's a well written story, it's well acted, it's, it's well directed. Noir. If they go back yeah. that direction, there's room for that yeah. mm -hmm. in James Bond now. If they try to keep up with the action of the Daniel Craig, I'm going to jump off a building to oh, be a yeah. parkour expert. Because that was very much like responding <laughs> to the Bourne identity movies yeah. in right. a lot of that, ways. Exactly. They were trying to keep up with the success of Bourne, and that yeah. took them. It's almost like the. <laughs> When they lost the Cold War as a, as a driver, yeah. they just started following whatever was big in the movies. Yeah. And this movie was, they were following Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Then they had to follow that. Then they're they're almost like a following franchise. And I think that it'd be interesting if they ditched all the technology in these movies and went back to, you know, just being literally a period piece. But yeah. It's, but it's also Bond a is a shell. He's got so much history that let, until they do, like, Bond origins, you'll mm -hmm. never have a real arc for him. Right, that's what I mean. Like a, like a do a do a 1960s Bond movie yeah. as okay. the next Bond movie. We need movie. an origin story here. Yeah. Uh, right, Kev? Whoever does the stuff, whatever company owns James Bond, was it Paramount? Mm, no, yeah. it's... I mean, Columbia, Columbia Look it Pictures Columbia? Uh, does the distribution. Columbia, call it's, us. It's we got some ideas. We'll talk. Uh, Stevan, final thoughts. Um, I think it's interesting, though, because like by Skyfall, uh -huh. in terms of the Daniel Craig ones, that's the closest thing we get to that origin story. We it's get more yeah, of ahead. that uh, background. And then hello. it also kind of tries to tap into a little bit more of a current yeah. like thing with certain like lists of uh, names and stuff like that in this... Kind of is Javier Bardem the bad guy in Skyfall? Yes, and he's right. like an he's a little goofy. I'm just gonna that, I'm gonna, I'm gonna yeah. leave that. I'm gonna throw it out there that maybe the was goofy in his too. Yeah, so like maybe the camp so stuff is 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 it's, started already. It's kind of like yeah, trying to balance that little bit there. Yeah. So okay, well with that said, this was a lot of fun. Uh, thank you all for coming. Thank you for sharing your ideas. Thank you for listening to each other. Uh, we are stronger together, uh, obviously, and we can encounter any problem space throws at us. Uh, next uh, month, December 6th, uh, uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the time travel. Um, and I would say you, like, you can watch Back to the Future, but like, I encourage you to maybe watch all of them if you can, because like, it's one thing. You're close to space and Three, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That train definitely is probably going to space. space is involved. Um, if they do a Back to the Future Four, they'll go to space. Uh, but yeah, I mean, if you want, like, I think it's that's this is the kind of thing where we could talk about the sequel or the third one, which we we'll talk about that less maybe. Yeah, but Back to the Future One and Two, I definitely think like could be open to talk about next week, next month. All right, time's up. I gotta go. Dina's already killed the feed. Love you all. Bye bye. Thank you. <laughs>